Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey, everybody. I'm glad that you joined us for another podcast of Sex, Love, and Addiction. Um, I'm Rob Weist, your host. And, uh, you know, I always think that I have amazing good friends and people whenever I do these podcasts because, well, a lot of my colleagues are amazing good friends and people. And um, in this case, these are folks who have been in the field a while and have done tremendous work around sexual and relationship recovery and healing. So I want to introduce Jonathan Taylor and Jackie Pack. Say hi, Jonathan and Jackie. Hi. Okay, that was very good. You did good. Um, Let me read you a little bit about them, and then I'll introduce today's topic. Jackie Pack is a certified sex addiction therapist supervisor with over 20 years of experience helping individuals and couples recover from addiction and related trauma issues. She's the owner of Healing Paths, an outpatient clinic near Salt Lake City, Utah. Jackie is also an owner at One Layer Deeper, which provides weekend intensives to help people in recovery get more grounded in solid relationships and to enjoy the new possibilities that sobriety opens up. And let me read about Jonathan. Jonathan, and I guess you guys work together, right? Yes, we do. Okay, cool. So that would be Jackie and Jonathan. So Jonathan, John, I'm sorry, John, is a certified sex addiction therapist as well. He works with couples and individuals healing from betrayal, trauma, and helps people to get solid recovery from addiction. John also works with men who are healing from maternal enmeshment issues, very big issue in our field, which uh, I'm hoping to have some speakers on in the near future. In addition to co-hosting the weekly recovery podcast, Thanks for Sharing, which I think he does with Jackie, right? The two of you do that? Yep, we do it together. Cool. He is also an owner at One Layer Deeper and loves hosting weekend intensives where people in recovery learn how to be more fully a part of their most valuable relationships. Thank you, Jonathan and Jackie. Great to be here. Yeah, we're excited. So great to have you. (laughs) Um, So let me tell you what we're going to talk about today because you suggested it and I loved it. And I think it'll be really helpful for a lot of people. We're talking about the issue of how someone in in recovery, and I assume we're talking about sex and love addiction because the issue around drugs and alcohol might be different, but how someone in recovery from sex and love addiction who is single starts to date, starts to be intimate, and starts to be sexual when this is the very problem they have with intimacy, relationships, and sex. So I'm going to set this up for these guys. You know, a lot of us who are in recovery or need to be in recovery, not all of us are married or in committed relationships. And when we stop looking at the porn or we stop seeing the sex workers or we stop having multiple affairs and multiple relationships and we settle down and we say, wow, I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to heal. And we do some of that. And then we get to the point where, wow, I think I might want to start dating in a healthy way. 
that's the conversation we're having. How does someone who's been broken in this area for many, many years, both men and women, we'll talk about both, find a way toward healing and growth? So welcome, Jackie and John. I, I wonder, maybe we should just lead this off with a question. What is the most typical issue you kind of see coming in or people challenged by when they are single and in recovery and thinking, wow, I want to start dating? And maybe we should start with men because I think they are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I find as we're, you know, this is usually when we're talking about dating and recovery, it's more advanced, right? We're not getting sober because I really recommend that they not be dating while they're trying to get sober. But so this is kind of more of an advanced, advanced recovery. So Jackie, I just want to clarify those people who don't understand sobriety or, or what that really means. What you're saying is once a person has come to you and they've really gotten a handle on their out of control, compulsive or addictive sexual behavior or romantic behavior, once they really feel like they've got stability in that area. And I'm guessing in my experience, that takes a good year. Sure. Yeah then that person might be able to look at dating. So what are your thoughts about that? So I would say some of the things that we're we're focused on is, you know, I I would say I look at this, I I hate to get into binaries too often, but sometimes they fall into an either or, right? They tend to pick up other people's issues more than they should. So you're saying that uh, a typical sex or love addict might overly focus on the person they're dating rather than just being themselves. And maybe I'm guessing because they're insecure and they want to please the other person, they want to make sure that they're liked, and maybe ultimately they want to have control over the dating so they don't have to feel abandoned or insecure. Mm-hmm. They're not used to just letting go and letting themselves be discovered. Right, right. And as they're being discovered, you know, maybe the other person, maybe they go on a date or two and the other person then doesn't text them back or doesn't pick up phone calls. Right. And they think that's all about them. Mm -hmm. And, and they're not realizing that maybe this person's doing them a favor, right? Maybe they have advanced kind of in the emotional intelligence realm beyond what a lot of people who are not in recovery have, and they're not giving themselves enough credit for the skills that they actually possess. Can you say more about that? Or Jonathan, did you want to jump in? I was going to say, I think for men in recovery, when they get back into dating in a serious way, one of the things that surprises them most is they have definite wants, needs, and desires in their relationships. And, you know, they've they've done a lot of work prior to this, bringing those wants, needs, and desires to the forefront so that they can, you know, get sober and uh, be emotionally regulated. But when it comes to dating, I see with a lot of men kind of this like, oh, wait a minute. I I can have an agenda in this too. Like there may be people that I don't want to date and that would be okay. Um, Or there may be certain kinds of people or certain kinds of relationships that I want to make sure I have. And so I I see a lot of the men early in recovery discovering for the first time that they get to take a very active role in creating their relationships instead of the relationship just kind of forming around them and them either being happy and stuck with it or miserable and stuck with it. Well, it's interesting, Jonathan, you bring this up because, you know, I think we're talking about two different issues. Dating as a sex addict or as a love addict is about finding somebody to complete me. Mm-hmm. It's about finding somebody who will take my focus off me and I can just focus on them. It's about getting somebody to like me or getting them to want me. And then once I do that, I've kind of won. Mm-hmm. And going from that to, I think what you're describing is healthy dating, which is mutual exploration and curiosity about who the other person is. And if we have things in common, we might enjoy. That's a very different shift. 
Yeah. And you're teaching those guys to make that shift. Yeah. It, it moves from this kind of back and forth chess game into a really collaborative process where we we're looking at building a relationship that both of us can be really happy in. And, you know, Jackie, I love what you said earlier, because I've said this in a much less politically correct way, which is, and this is um, no, uh, if there are any 12 year old girls listening, and I hope there aren't, I mean, not to insult you. <laughs> but I noticed that men, men, 40, 50 year old men who are mature and have businesses and are successful and have marriages and or, or have had relationships, whatever, when they go out and start dating in recovery, then they no longer have the control over that person using flirtation and seduction and manipulation and, and all that stuff that sex addicts do that they're actually quite vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, Jackie, what you said is really true, which is my experience is that when a sex addict goes out on a date and they're really present and they're vulnerable, if that person doesn't call them back the next day, they turn into a 12-year-old girl, <laughs> which is, oh my God, why didn't he call me? And they're calling their friends and what happened? And what, don't they like me? And, and what they, because they, they really are not used to tolerating situations where they're not in control over how close that person gets to them or how far away that person stays from them. And when you're being, when you're dating, you're being vulnerable, right? Yeah. I right. mean, you can't control how that person responds to you. And that's scary, which is what our clients avoid right? Something like that. Well, and, and with some of the men that I've worked with too, they will talk about that, you know, they have boundaries in place about maybe not having sex after the first date or on the first date. And they want to actually get to know this person um, so that when they do have sex with them, they have a more satisfying, more meaningful sexual encounter. But we actually encourage that. Right. right. We would say, why don't you, you're used to having sex right away. That's easy for you. Why don't you do the hard thing and get to know someone? Exactly. And as they do that, sometimes the women, and, and I'm guessing these women may complain to their girlfriends about men only wanting sex. And yet when that isn't the way the man shows up, mm-hmm. it freaks them out a little bit and they don't know what to do. Right. And this is what I'll say to men. Sometimes women are getting accustomed to men dating like predators. And when they don't, they don't know what that means. They don't know how to interact with this man. Well, I think that's, you know, that is a whole subject unto itself because I know lots of women of all ages who have lots of feelings about what dating means in the in Western culture in 2018, 2019. But nonetheless, um, sticking with the, with the people who are struggling with the dating for a while, I think you're right. You know, they don't know, they don't know what they're negotiating. And when they're trying to negotiate something which we might call a little more old fashioned, because they actually need the relationship more than the sex in terms of their own personal development, these addicts, it can throw other people off because they're so used to being hit on all the time. But I imagine, but I also imagine there's some respect in that, you know, and some ability to be vulnerable. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I know it'd be easy to have sex with you now, but I want to get to know you. Wow. That's vulnerable. Right. I'm just thinking of a lot of our a lot of our addicts, their new socialization early in recovery happens in large part in the rooms or in their groups or their recovery communities. So in communities with other men that they are uh, healing with. Yeah. Yeah. And they, these people come together because they have kind of this predetermined, this is what we want to accomplish together. Like we want to get sober or we want to support each other in healthy recovery. And when they go back out into dating, there's no such rules or structures in place. It's not like they can plug into this is where I go to pick up on people who are really emotionally healthy and want to have mature relationships. Like that dating app doesn't exist yet. No, we have to teach them. Yeah. And I, and I think it's really scary for the men to, to move into this. Like it's kind of me out in the wild and I'm going to have to see what I can find. And I'm going to have to navigate some heartache and some discomfort and some real fear in, in search of these kind of relationships. You know, when you, um, 
when you guys were talking, uh, both you just now, John, and a little bit earlier, Jackie, I was thinking about what you said about emotional needs. And people in recovery, if they're working hard, over time they learn that they drank because they actually needed comfort or they used because they actually needed a friend or they went out and had sex with a stranger actually because they were so stressed out about something. But if they'd had something to make them feel better, like a person to calm them down and a good, you know, a different, healthier way to manage their feelings, then they wouldn't necessarily act out. So both of you have said in different ways that part of what we do in recovery is we help get these people in touch with it. Your basic need is not sex. <laughs> Your basic need is to be held, to be appreciated, to be valued, to be loved, to be a part of you know all the needs that we have. And that's a much broader kind of emotionally complex list than just thinking, well, if, if you have sex with me, then you must like me. Yeah. And and that's exactly what we find when we do these dating and recovery intensives. Yeah, I wanted to hear about that. Those intensives. Tell me more about that. Well, despite our best marketing efforts, right, to to say what we're doing, right? We're going one layer deeper where, you know, we kind of have all these write-ups that we talk about. We've gone on podcasts and talk about what we do. And a lot of times the people come up or they're coming to the intensive and what they're expecting is some type of speed dating where we're going to teach them some magical skill as to how to do that. Well, every addict would think that, I have to say. Right. In other words, you're just going to, you know, I know you're going to take my sexual intensity away from me, but you're just going to give me another way to experience right. intensity. Exactly. Like, where is it? <laughs> and, and so when, they when they're walking away, they're saying, this isn't at all what I thought it was going to be. And yet it's so much... Uh, what I needed. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm going back into my community or where I live and I have better skills. I have a better understanding. I have more compassion for myself as to what I'm truly trying to accomplish and how difficult that actually can be. Right. Um, here's a difficult one. Um, so I, I want you guys to, you guys will laugh at this about that. I, I went to about 10 years ago, I went to a dating seminar and it was for therapists and it was, it was absolutely without question. It was a part of a conference and it was for therapists to learn how to teach their clients healthy dating. But I guarantee you, and I know for a fact that all 65 therapists in that room were single <laughs> and looking to figure out for themselves, you know, we cheat occasionally. Yes. But one of the things I got out of that, which I, we don't talk about a lot is that dating is kind of a numbers game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, especially sex and love addicts, love addicts in particular, think that if they, if by the second or third date with someone, it isn't working out or they date someone for six months and it fails and then they try someone else and it fails, they just kind of give up. And what, what they don't realize, and I think this is true, is first of all, what is a date? So I'll give you my definition of a date. My definition of a date is one hour in an ugly, unattractive coffee shop <laughs> where you've met that other person and you both drove there in separate cars and you're going to leave in separate cars and you spend that hour in an uncomfortable conversation. And if that uncomfortable conversation gets more comfortable, then you might meet, oh, four or five days later and go for a walk. Like that's dating for me in recovery, not romance, not candles, not moonlight, not wine, not, re you know, but short periods of time where you can come together and get to know someone. And if you look at it like that, and I know this sounds almost addictive, but it makes sense to date. You could do a date 12 or 10 or 12 people a year right? because you're just going to coffee and getting to know them. And it isn't a big deal. You're just trying to figure out if there's something there or not. Yeah, we, we talk in addiction recovery about being orgasm focused. Um, and I think in dating, we're really romance focused. And the truth is there's... Enmeshment focused. Yeah. How quickly can I get enmeshed with you? Right. And I, I was just talking to somebody this week who was like, I, I won't date because anything that approaches romance is going to be enmeshment and engulfment. And it's 
it, that uh, that's the big fear that I see a lot of men come to. So we talk a lot about, and that's trauma. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about how there's multiple reasons why you might date. And to begin with, you might quote unquote date to make friends, like just to see who's out there and to see how you respond. I, I always tell my, my clients who are ready to do this. Why don't you try on several different dates, several different people to see how you feel with different kinds of people. And maybe the focus in dating in the beginning is to expand your social circle, or maybe it's to have fun, or maybe it's to try something that you've never tried before. It's, it's not about picking paint colors at this point. Well, it's interesting, Jonathan, you say that because I do think that all of us on some level, the most, the most stable among us, you know, are hoping that by the end of our first date with that new person that we're going to be able to pick out his and his or hers and hers or his and hers towels. And the reality is, is that's not healthy dating. And it, you might have find some magic with someone, but that's just the hope of something. That isn't the reality of something. You know, um, I want to say something personal. Um, when I was out there dating, I've been married for 18 years. Thank goodness. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be dating today. But I will say this. When I was first dating in early recovery, and I think a lot of people make this what I would call mistake, and I'd love your feedback on this. I thought that I, because I had been an, such an active sex addict, such a, so much dating for sex or dating for instant enmeshment and lo love, I sort of thought that, well, the, the right thing to do in recovery would be to date someone I'm not, date someone on paper, meaning I'll sit down and say, I want someone who's this and that and this and that and this and that. And as you know, they're a lawyer, they're a doctor, they went to school, they didn't go to school, they have kids, they don't, whatever it is. And I would make that list. And then it didn't matter, I thought, whether I was attracted to them or not, mm -hmm. because if they met the criteria, then eventually I would be attracted and the dating would go well, and it never worked out. And then I read this book called If the Buddha Dated by a colleague of mine named Dr. Charlotte Castle. I don't know if you guys use that book. Great book. She also went on to write another book called If the Buddha Married, I want to say. And in If the Buddha Dated, she writes, and it shocked me, if someone is not at least a seven on your 10, you know, if they don't arouse you, if you don't get that woo feeling when you go meet them, don't date them because mm -hmm. right. they're not the right person. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of antithetical to what we, it's sort of like you have to have a little bit of intensity for dating to work and a little bit of enmeshment and a little bit of that spark, mm -hmm. but too much of it. And you may not get to know who they are. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I wonder how you talk to people about that, that balance. And, and yeah, I'd love to talk more about this. We actually spend half a day on the signals that your body gives for no and yes and getting to know that really, really well. And we end that half day with an exercise where they're practicing saying no in a way that the other person can believe, because I think that's a really a big part of this dating process is it's not, can I find a thousand people who are the right match for me? And unless I guess, you know, if that's your definition of sobriety. One at a time. Yeah. Yeah. It's really this winnowing down and you really are looking for where do I get the strong nose or where do I even just get a like, meh, that's probably not something that you're going to want to invest your yourself and your emotions and your time in and building a long-term romantic relationship. And they still have to turn you on. Yes. Right. And, and that's an interesting thing as you start to talk about it um, in the intensives with these individuals is still some of the shame that will come up for them about wanting to be attracted to the person. 
Right. And just normalizing that. Like, of course you want to be attracted to your person. Well, remember, Jackie, that we say, you know, in all the 12-step programs and, you know, that the lust of the mind will clear away and you will no longer, you know, be led around by the nose by your lust. And so we're in many ways in early recovery, we're telling people kind of put that down, put the lusting thing down for a while. And maybe that being your first priority is not working for you. Right. But then I think a lot of people move to, oh, well, I need to not lust ever again. Right. And lust is a part, it's like, that's like saying, I'll never let myself be hungry again right. for food. Right. You know, we're going to lust, we're human, right? And just saying, but we don't want a, a hollow, empty lust, right? We want some foundation, which is why you need to get to know this person beyond just their physical attractiveness. Which is scary as hell. Because if I lust for someone and I like someone and we're enjoying each other, for so many of our clients, it is their absolute worst fear that that person is going to turn to them in six weeks or six months and say, you know, I don't think you're the right person for me. Which is, I think, what often brings us right into, and we see this as we do the intensive, which is why I love the intensive work, is it brings them right into their fear around the intimacy disorder, right? If I let this person get close to me, that's dangerous Mm -hmm. because I'm going to get hurt. Hey there, I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love, and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. Or call us at 747-234-4325. I think you guys are the only people in the country that I know that are doing a live dating intensive for people in recovery where they get to actually be with other people who want to date, I assume. And it's not that you're going to be setting people up to find each other in your seminars, but you are teaching them how to date healthy. And they may or may not meet someone in that experience. Well, they're going to make friends in that experience. And maybe I have a feeling in your experiences, they get to laugh at themselves a little bit. That's my hope. What we witness is they laugh, they cry, they do it together, they support each other, and they start to get a feel about what healthy relationships feel like. Is that like, do you have, is it deeperdating.com, deeperdating.org? I mean, just since we're talking about it, how do they find that? It's one layer deeper.com. O-N-E layer deeper. One layer deeper.com for deeper dating. Anyway, I, I'm just a fan of this and that's why I wanted to talk about it or highlight it for these guys because, you know, if you have the resources and the time and you're single and you have had unsuccessful dating experiences, male or female, and, and I know you guys know this, so I'm just going to say this for the audience. I've run into so many men and women who have had terrible dating experiences or ruined them themselves. And eventually they just say, well, I'm just not going to date anymore or I'm just not going to be sexual anymore. And I hear that a lot from women. And what seems to be the reason is that they seem to decide on some level that since dating has gone so badly for me, that maybe I'm unlovable, or maybe I'll just never be happy, or maybe dating, I'm not meant to date, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I always try to tell people in some subtle way, and especially the women, what if you're the perfect person to date, but you just don't have a good picker? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, what if you just don't know how to find the right person? And I have a whole book on this and all that stuff. But I wonder if you talk to women in particular about how to make informed choices about the men they might choose to date. It was it was interesting in this last one. It was a group of all women that we had. And um, Jackie spent a lot of time talking about Gavin DeBecker's book, The Gift of Fear. And um, in our last intensive, we had seven women 
it was all women. And uh, Jackie spent time talking about some of the concepts in this book. And it was really interesting to watch them connect the dots with um, their previous dating experiences and their propensity to pick relationships that were more about this man and his ego and less about themselves and their needs. And that was very eye-opening. And actually, a handful of the women from this, I think they still have an ongoing book club where they're Mm -hmm. reading the book together and they're discussing weekly and sharing some of those stories and really helping each other hone this picker. Like in the past, I wouldn't have thought twice. And that is what it's all about. Yes. Mm -hmm. If I can get women to use other healthy or even other challenged women as their posse, as their support, as their feedback, I may have a bad picker, but if there are other men or women who know me intimately, not sexually, but know my shit, know me well, are good friends in this area, then I can call them up at the end of a date and say, this is who I met and this is how the date went. And what do you think knowing my history? Right. And then that person who knows you so well can say, are you kidding me? You said you wanted to, you know, you said you didn't want to gary, mar- date someone who's married and using drugs and doesn't have a home, but this is who this person <laughs> right. is. No matter how nice they are, maybe you shouldn't date them. Part of the challenge for the women we work with is that they get caught up in the romance and the possibilities and they lose the reality of who that person is sitting in front of them. The other thing that I that we find as we're doing these dating intensives is we run squarely into, which is fine for us, but we run squarely into socialized messaging that we get when we're so young, we don't even know that it's really just socialized messaging. So it may be like with this women's intensive, right? We ran into a lot of women need to be nice. Mm -hmm. And what that means is they're not going to advocate for themselves in dating. And they're going to go along to get along because that's what they're told to do, right? Nobody likes a bitch. So they can't say no, or I don't think so, or I don't want that. These women, and we're not going to we're not going to take that as a broad generalization to all women, but we're right. going to say these women who have these issues who are struggling with dating have trouble being assertive, and maybe they're afraid that if they assert themselves, they're going to end up alone. Right, and a lot of them found, as I talk to women in my practice or just women in different intensives, they will say divorce really took a toll on me, or my last marriage, or dating has taken a toll on me, and the image that I have of myself is really poor. Mm-hmm. And so they're afraid to really speak up. And and we talk about, and we talk about this with men too, and the messaging that they get, some of that for men is, um, you know, that all they really want is sex. And so they don't really care about anything else. Mm -hmm. And really, is that the message you want to accept? Is that, are you going to sell yourself out to that message? Or status. All I'm wanted for is status. Yeah. And And they really start to shape their own image of themselves. And what we find is they become more of a partner in their relationships because they're more informed and authentic themselves. I love that you guys are doing this work and I know that you get it. And that's the important part for me. You know, there are a couple of things I wanted to bring up about dating in in women. Um, I wanted to talk about oxytocin a little bit. So oxytocin for our audience, for those of you guys listening, is a hormone that we release in our brain that causes us to bond. It's our bonding hormone. And the most oxytocin we ever release is when a mother is looking down and holding in her arms a little infant and looking down at that child, getting ready to feed that child. That is the most oxytocin that human beings can release, meaning that our strongest bonding is to our children. But our second strongest release of oxytocin is when we are in romance and in dating. 
And one of the challenges of being a woman in this culture today <laughs> is that when women have sex, they start to release oxytocin. In other words, women immediately begin to bond when they're having sex. Men don't. We do not release oxytocin when we're having sex. We don't necessarily, we can, it's possible when we're, if we're feeling loving and we're looking in your eyes and we can release a whole lot of it, but we can also have sex with a stranger and, and there's no oxytocin or bonding present and we're perfectly happy. Um, not so for women. And, and to me, this really informs women in dating. And Lord knows I am a, uh, I'm hardly a sexual conservative. I think you guys could attest to that. But on the, at the same time, I understand that for a woman who's got issues with love and sex, that she that her grandmother was right. She really needs to know him a lot better before she has sex with him because if she has emotional issues that are gonna draw her into the wrong person, then having sex with him is gonna bond her to the wrong person before she's ready. And I wonder how you guys look at that and if you talk to about that stuff with the women you're working, with whom you're working. Yeah, I, the, the thing that comes to mind was somebody that we had at our intensives who showed up and said, I'm ready to start dating. And as we as we talked about stages of relationships, and we really try not to lay out, you know, stage four is where sex happens. So get there as fast as you can. Right, right, um, right, right. Three yeah, and a half. <laughs> we more talked about like, these are some lines along which relationships can form. And here are some places where you might want to have certain conversations. One woman, she realized, like, I can't even stand somebody looking at me or touching me. Uh -huh. So when it comes to me thinking about dating and romance, um, I'm really getting ahead of myself here. And what I need to focus on is how am I going to get safe being noticed? And how am I going to get safe noticing people? And how, how can I make that work better for me? Well, you know, John, that leads to a bigger question for both of you I have, which is how much trauma, like emotional, early childhood attachment trauma do you run into? And what? let me frame the question for you, meaning that, you know, even the healthiest person can struggle with dating, but someone who didn't have good role models for what a good relationship is in the most basic way, um, they may not know how to pick the right person. They may not know how what healthy dating or healthy relationship is. How much do you see either one of you trauma influencing or someone's history influencing the challenges that they have today with dating? I mean, this is some of my bias and some of it's informed by things that I read, but I just don't think we have a good track record um, in the world. I'm going to go that big. <laughs> Can we say in the Western world? Cause you know, the, there are other worlds where people date before they, you know, they get married before they've ever dated. So, you know, we right. probably need to stick with the West. Let, we can say West, but I don't know too, right? We, we rec recently, I'll say this, um, personally speaking, we recently had two Hindu Indian girls come and stay with us at, at our home. And one of the first questions they asked my husband and I, is your marriage a love marriage? And, uh, <laughs> right. And, and at first we both. Well, I, I would definitely, I would look at my husband and I would look at them and I would say, no. <laughs> and, and they had been in our home for about, about three days when they asked us that, right? Is your marriage a love marriage? And did you know what they meant? Yeah, we did. did you, we did. Did you know what? Because I'm not even sure what that means. Well, because in their culture, very much it's still arranged marriages. And so a love marriage is one in which we fell in love and decided this is what we wanted to do, right? Which doesn't always have a better outcome than- 50% uh, of those marriages end in divorce in America, yes. and 50% uh, of the divorces are caused by infidelity. So yes, no, we don't have a great track record, of, track record of using love as, or initial sort of romantic love as a guarantor that the later part of the relationship will work out. You're right. E exactly. But they were looking at our relationship and saying, is yours a love marriage? And I said- 
yes, we, we chose each other and we chose to get married. And they, both of them had said, I, I think that's good. I think love marriages are good. And I said, well, it, it's good for us, right? It has worked for us. But overall speaking, lo- love marriages aren't perfect, right? And and they don't have any better track record no. than, than random people from the community whose parents put them together and married them. They have about the same track record as love marriages. Yeah. Um, but to have that perspective, you know, so so from there, they were a different part, you know, of of the world and a very different culture than what we are here in the West. But I just think there's so much trauma. Can you define trauma? Because I brought it up, but I didn't yeah. really explain it. Trauma meaning? Well, I mean, in a very broad definition, we say anything less than nurturing, right? And and I usually add at critical points, right? So because I think we can go through and we know that a healthy human being also has just the right amount of trauma, right? That having no trauma really doesn't prepare them either. No, that makes someone who doesn't know how to handle challenges. Right. Children need to be disappointed. They need to be let down. They need, but not, but the more consistent experience they need to have is love mm-hmm. and affection. Yes. And what I've witnessed as a parent, uh, three of my kids now are adults. But what I've witnessed is as they go through trauma, there's times, I mean, yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't want this to happen to them. Oh, you're a mom. Right. Of course you don't. But then I go in because I can't make it not happen to them, right? This is life playing out and unfolding. And I go in and say, okay, we're going to cry. We're going to feel like this isn't fair. We're going to talk about it. And in two days, we're going to figure out how to come back from this. Hey, Jackie. Yeah. Would you be my mom? (laughs) (laughs) I never had a mom like that. I really like that. I didn't either, Rob. Hey, listen, guys, I I have to stop you because we're running over time. And um, I know we're going to be doing more of these because um, the work we share is so closely aligned. And and I really want to hear more about dating. So tell me how people can find or tell, you can tell me, but tell them if they want to learn more about dating, more about intimacy, more about relationships, and they might want to do one of the intensives that you offer, how would they find out about them? So if they if they go to our website onelayerdeeper.com, o n e layerdeeper.com, um, they can actually set up to speak with one of us for we do a, a 20 minute phone consultation to answer questions and to make sure that this is exactly what you're needing right now. So they they can go there to to find more general information about the intensive and they can talk to us directly to find out a little more about what they personally might get from it. Mm-hmm. So say the name of the site again onelayerdeeper.com. Love that. And may I ask you guys a question? Would you be willing to come on the sex and relationship healing.com site and give a lecture maybe together about healthy dating and talk a little bit about what you're doing uh, in a webinar where people can ask you questions and we can record it and then they can refer to you later. Would that be okay? Absolutely. Because we're putting lots of live, live lectures and webinars on sex and relationship healing. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Okay, Groovy. So you are my pro-dependent friends. <laughs> Good to talk to you. Um, we'll be doing more with Jackie and John because they are doing cutting-edge work for people who are moving beyond betrayal and hurt into dating and into love. And hey, I have one more question for you guys. Here's a really good one. There is a, one of the 12-step programs for sex and relationship healing, and there are many. There's SAA, SA, SLAA, SCA. You know, there's tons of them. And for those of you who are not familiar with addiction, you know, we have A-A-N-A-M-A, you know, whatever your addiction is, you're going to find the group just for that because addicts like to be with their own people, um, which is fine. But one of the 12-step programs talks to people in sexual and romantic recovery and says that they're not sober. They cannot achieve sobriety 
if they have any kind of sexual experience before they're married. And I don't refer people to that 12-step program because I, unless they are married or unless they are uh, like a sex offender, someone who needs a lot of really strict boundaries, because it confuses me, that confuses me, because I think that half the battle is not stopping the behavior, it's learning how to be intimate. Mm -hmm. And so for a single person to go from non-intimacy to marriage seems like a pretty big and un, kind of unhealthy leap. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get your feedback on that because I don't know how to speak to that when people say, oh, I go to this program and they say this. And I'm like, Ugh, not sure I believe in that. I, I like your take on this. You, you you talk about this conversation that you and your husband had if he were to die and you were to date again. Oh. Can you tell that? Yeah. So my husband and I were out walking the dogs and one of our neighbors it was engaged and we could see her her car was parked at a different the guy that she's engaged to. And it was like early on a Sunday or Saturday morning, one of those things. And my husband just said, so if I were to die and you were going to get married, would you have sex before you got married? Right. We grew up in, I mean, we're here in Utah. We grew up in a pretty religious uh, conservative religion, rigid sexuality teachings. Mm -hmm. And so he just said, would you, uh, or would you have sex before you got married? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> and <laughs> that would be a yes. Right? Was that a yes? And he was like, oh, clearly you've thought about this. <laughs> and, you know, and I said to him at the time, I said, I'm 48 years old. I don't have time. I do not have time to grow with somebody who I said, when we got married, right, we, I was like 24, he was 23 when we got married. Bonding happens quickly and amazingly when you're having great sex and you're 24. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm like, but we, we knew nothing. And fortunately, both of us knew that. And we were willing to grow together and we were willing to listen to each other and offer, you know, grace to each other in our big imperfections and, and misunderstandings. But I'm like, I, I don't have time to do that. Like we've been married 25 years, you know, I, I'm going to be really old at that point And I don't have that much time to have great sex. I'm laughing because I have to say, Jackie, like how many times I've said to my husband, you know, so when I am gone and he said, Oh no, no, you're not going to go anywhere. Or you're not going to be, you know, why are you talking about that? I never get to have that conversation. <laughs> I'm not allowed to have that conversation. Well, I don't know that my husband expected that. <laughs> But we did. We uh, had yeah, it. I don't think. I don't think. He, <laughs> right. That was. He wanted more. Your oh, honey, that's not going to happen. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to have sex with them. So John and Jackie, it has been. Oh my God, such a pleasure to have you on. I think there's so much that you have to offer, and you know, I want you to know that we're gonna. I'm going to do everything I can to help build your dating community. I, I do think you're going to get a lot more women than you are men, because men just seem so cocksure that they know what they're doing with dating, and women know that they don't. <laughs> and yeah. at least the ones retreat. But in any case, I'm sure going to support you in any way I can because the work you're doing is so fabulous. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care. <laughs>